How many like to know uh, how a story or a movie is going to end when the plot thickens? Anybody like that? Chandler, our daughter, is like, ah, how's this going to end? I can't watch. I mean, we've all been there. Is Frodo really going to destroy the ring or not? Is Rocky going to beat Apollo Creed or not? Right? You're, and he didn't, but in the first one at least. Spoiler alert. But, you know, here's the good thing. We know how the story of the kingdom of Jesus ends. He's the victor. He's victorious by his incarnation, meaning God became one of us, entered into our humanity, our brokenness, our fallen world, showed us what the Father was like by his life, submitted himself to death upon a cross to defeat sin, death, and the evil one. He's victorious, and we're in him. But there's still stuff, chaos going on in this world. There's, a, there's still a conflict between light and dark, even though Jesus is the victor. There's still this battle in the middle of a war that's already been won. So today we're concluding uh, this series we've been doing for several weeks called Let There Be Light. And we've been looking at this conflict. What does the Bible have to say about this conflict between light and darkness? And we've been asking a question each week and then trying to answer it from what Scripture has to say. And so today, the title of the message is Break, Shake, Illuminate. And what we're going we're gonna to look at the role of the church in the conflict between light and darkness. What's the role of novation as, as an expression of Jesus' local church as part of his greater church throughout, throughout the world? And I want to give credit to a guy named Erwin McManus wrote a book years ago that really, really impacted me on the role of the local church and, and really helped me understand this and what we're going to do today. So Jesus says this to us today. Here's what he says to each one of us in this room. This wasn't just to Peter, James, and John or whoever was listening. He says this to you and me today. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? It is no longer good for anything except to be thrown out and trampled underfoot. You are the light of the world. A town built on a hill cannot be hidden. Neither do people light a lamp and put it under a bowl. Instead, they put it on its stand, and it gives light to everyone in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others, that they may see your good deeds and glorify your Father in heaven. A couple things on that. What did he mean that we were the salt of the earth? Well, back in the Bible times, salt was a precious commodity. Like monetarily, salt was, was, was worth, it would trade goods for salt. Back then, salt was obviously as it is today, but in a greater need was a preservative. So think of the church when you're thinking of salt and what salt does. It was a preservative. So you keep meat, you know, fresh longer or whatever. So we as the church, we're in this broken world with a message of hope preserving around us. Secondly, salt is a flavor enhancer, right? Too much salt, ugh. 
But just the right amount of salt, it, it, it's a flavor enhancer. It makes things uh, taste better. That's by our love and good deeds, we're, we're flavoring the community and world around us. And then salt is a healing agent. You, put, you, know, you rub some salt on your wound, it hurts, but it brings healing. And so that's the role of the church. Then he says, you're the light of the world. In the middle of this darkness... Light always defeats darkness and pushes away the darkness. What I see from this is we are partners with God in transforming the world through the gospel. We're partners with God. God doesn't need us, but God never does anything alone, so to speak. He calls for participation. And so there's a story in the Old Testament in 1 Samuel about a guy named Jonathan. And if you're not super familiar, Jonathan was David's best friend. And he was the son of King Saul. And he was a, a mighty warrior, very brave, very loyal to David. And so what we're going to see in this story is what I think is a picture of what God is calling us to do as a church. So I'm going to read this passage to you. It's several verses, but follow along with me. One day, Jonathan, son of Saul, said to his young armor bearer, come, let us go over to the Philistine outpost on the other side. But he did not tell his father. In other words, everybody was sitting around waiting. And Jonathan said, let's go do something about this. Saul was staying on the outskirts of Gibeah under a pomegranate tree in Migron. With him were about 600 men, among whom was Ahai, who was wearing an ephod. He was a son of Ichabod's brother, Atub, son of Phinehas, the son of Eli, the Lord's priest in Shiloh. So he's part of this priest, high priest uh, stuff that's going on here. And that's important to the story. No one was aware that Jonathan had left. On each side of the pass that Jonathan intended to cross to reach the Philistine outpost was a cliff. One was called Bozes and the other Sini. One cliff stood to the north toward Michmash, the other to the south toward Geba. Jonathan said to his young armor bearer, come, let's go over to the outpost of those uncircumcised men, meaning the Philistines. Perhaps, catch that, perhaps the Lord will act on our behalf. Nothing can hinder the Lord from saving, whether by many or by few. Do all that you have in mind, his armor bearers said. Go ahead, I'm with you, heart and soul. Jonathan said, come, then we'll cross over toward them and let them see us. If they say to us, wait, wait there until we come to you, we will stay where we are and not go up to them. But if they say, come up to us. We will climb up because that will be our sign that the Lord has given them into our hands. So both of them showed themselves to the Philistine outpost. Look, said the Philistines, the Hebrews are crawling out of the holes they were hiding in. The men of the outpost shouted to Jonathan and in his armor bearer, come up to us and we'll teach you a lesson. See what he's doing here? <laughs> so Jonathan said to his armor bearer, climb up after me. The Lord has given them into the hand of Israel. Jonathan climbed up using his hands and feet with his armor bearer right behind him. 
The Philistines fell before Jonathan and his armor bearer followed and killed behind him. In that first attack, Jonathan and his armor bearer killed some 20 men in the area about a half an acre. The panic struck the whole army, those in the camp and field and those in the outposts and raiding parties, and the ground shook and it was a panic sent by God. Saul's lookouts at Gibeah in Benjamin saw the army melting away in all directions. Then Saul said to the men who were with him, muster the forces and see who has left us. When they did, it was Jonathan and his armor bearer who were not there. Saul said to Ahai, bring the ark of God. At that time, it was with, not with, it was with the Israelites. While Saul was talking to the priest, the tumult in the Philistine camp increased more and more. So Saul said to the priest, withdraw your hand. Then Saul and all his men assembled and went to the battle. They found the Philistines in total confusion, striking each other with their swords. These Hebrews, who had previously been with the Philistines, had gone up with them to their camp, went over to the Israelites who were with Saul and Jonathan. When all the Israelites who had hidden in the hill country of Ephraim, heard that the Philistines were on the run, they joined the battle in hot hot pursuit. So on that day, the Lord saved Israel, and the battle moved on beyond Beth-Avon. Scott, what in the world does that have to do with the church? I think everything. It doesn't have anything to do with us killing people or doing literal, you know, taking the physical part that happened here. But it's realizing what Jesus has done to the real enemy. Do you realize today people are not your enemy? It's the powers and principalities and rulers of darkness that are behind this. That's what we've been talking about now eight weeks. And what Paul says, we don't wrestle against flesh and blood. That person that you're mad at, that person that's frustrating, that person that's betraying you, of course, they're accountable. I would never say, say, you know, don't hear that. But there is something behind that. And we see the hand of God in the midst of this battle. We know the hand of God is in in our battle. He's in our battle. It's a story of action. It's a story of doing the right thing. It's It's a story of trusting God. Every person in this room or watching online, if you want to do the will of God, you will. Sometimes we make, well, is this the will of God or not? Well, there's some things you don't have to pray about. You don't have to pray about should you be a loving person, a forgiving person, doing good to others. We don't don't have to pray about that. That's Jonathan initiated, and and we have that same privilege to to initiate. And it was interesting, Janelle and I, I was reading this passage to Janelle, and um, she said, you know, it's kind of interesting in there that Jonathan and his armor bearer, they, they were looking for a sign. And then they knew what they were supposed to do. We're not looking for a sign. That cross is our sign. The cross, the death and resurrection of Jesus and his commission to go into all the world and and tell people the good news and the hope that we have, we don't need a sign. We've had our sign 2,000 years ago in the person of, of Jesus. So three things that I see will help us from this story As we move forward as a church today, as we celebrate um, what God has done, you know, it's we're coming up on a 10-year anniversary, which is crazy, but just even in the last, you know, 18 months, 
post-COVID. God's been amazing. And so like Jonathan, first thing is we need to break from the status quo. We need to break from the status quo. As a church, let's break from the status quo. Let's break from the crowd. Jonathan didn't do what everybody else was doing. His action caused a reaction. He he initiated something. And I think sometimes churches, I don't have any particular church in mind. I just think maybe the, the church in the West, we try to fit into the culture too much. And we're never going to fit in. The message of love and hope and forgiveness and love your enemies and all that, that's countercultural, right? That's, and, and so we're not going to fit in in that sense. I think we've tried to. I've been walking with Jesus for almost 30 years now, getting close to that. Thank you. <laughs> um, yeah, and I've seen this pattern. It, it, it's getting better But there was a season where the church was trying to Christianize everything. We Christianize books, movies. Of course we need books, but you know, I mean, we're just trying to take something that's part of a culture and we put a Christian spin on it. How many remember Testaments? (laughs) Hey, thank you. You remember. You'd go and you could buy these breath mints. But they couldn't just be breath mints, they had to be testaments with something on it. And I remember being in a Christian bookstore years ago, and I'm fully for Christian bookstores and reading, don't hear that. I'm talking about the cultural part, it's important that you don't lose me in that. But I was in, the, in a Christian bookstore, and these two Jewish kids walked in, and they had their yarmulkes on, and they were walking around the store, and snapping photos of each other, holding Christian games and testaments and whatever else. And they were like, they were making fun. And I didn't get mad. I thought, you know, it's kind of funny if you really start thinking about it. And they walked out of the the store and they yelled, happy Hanukkah and ha 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 ha. And they had a great time at the bookstore's expense. But when you try so hard to fit into the culture, we're not going to be effective. Jesus didn't try to fit in to the culture. Jesus came with a message of hope that superseded culture. So what's going to determine us breaking from the crowd? What's going to determine us being salt and light? I got three things under this heading. First of all, by the type of community that we build. That's going to break from the crowd. People are lonely. People are hurting. People are born with a need of relationships. And when somebody enters into relationships with other people who are following Jesus, there's nothing like it. That's the vision of Novation Church, is the community caring for one another and growing as more and more people continue to be part of the relationships. We are a relational church. We're imperfect. Um, we're imperfect following the perfect, but that, that is, the, the vision is the community itself, for people to have a, a place to heal, to find hope, to be discipled, to grow in their faith. Secondly, by the character we display. We are set apart from the crowd by our character. We're not saved by our character, 
But it sure does mark us when we follow Jesus and put into practice what he says to do by loving for one another, praying for one another, caring for one another, sharing the hope that we have. And then thirdly, by the risks that we're willing to take. We'll step away from the crowd. We'll, we'll, we'll break from the status quo by the risks we're willing to take. Always intrigued me by Jonathan saying, perhaps the Lord will be with us. Oh, what a step of faith. Perhaps the Lord is in this. Because sometimes we don't know. But also, as I said earlier, there's some things that we know the Lord is in. There's things that we know the Lord wants us to do. Jonathan was willing to step out and, and trust the Lord. So as uh, Joel and Brad were, were talking about, alluding to a minute ago as a board, what risks are we willing to take as a church moving forward? And please don't ever think that it's, well, it's just the leadership is going to make those decisions. We're a community. Of course, every community has leadership, but that doesn't mean that, that we don't have ideas and thoughts and things that God puts on each other's hearts so that we're doing God's work. So I think, what are we needing to take risk-wise? It was been alluded to a few times, but pre-COVID, March the 8th, 2020, man, there was the kind of momentum I feel in this room today and, and the buzz going on about being together at church and then COVID hits, and we're, you know, having to do online church, and everybody hibernating for, we didn't know what the heck was going on, and there's a lot of people that didn't make it back to church. There's a lot of people that didn't make it back for whatever reasons, but a, a lot of that reason was people created a new habit of not gathering with believers. And we're told in the book of Hebrews, do not forsake meeting together. As you see the day approaching, we need one another. So let's look ahead. Here's a question. This is a tough, challenging question. Would we be missed in this community if we shut our doors? We would miss each other, and that's part of the beauty of the community, but would the community itself miss us? Giving our, ourselves to great things comes with a cost, like a dunk tank comes at a great cost. <laughs> Secondly, we need to break from the status quo and then we need to shake things up. Jonathan shook things up by his initiation of what he did. And a couple simple obvious things on how we shake things up is we never forget the power of prayer. We, prayer has, has, we have seen God answer some amazing prayers in the last 10 years, in the last year. Got to answer answering prayer. So how do we shake things up? By prayerful action. Prayerful action. Here's a, here's a question I like to ask myself often as I walk this out, and I would ask it to you as well. When is the last time you acted or did something or obeyed God as a result of prayer? You were spending time communing with God, enjoying His presence, and God said, prompts you, I want you to do this. I want you to, I want you to serve. I want you to give. It's a result of God. I was speaking with God and I felt this prompting. I was supposed to do something. That's for all of us. Pray, then obey, right? That's, that's, that is the most 
greatest gift God has given us is prayer. And when we pray and seek Him and the Holy Spirit speaks, and then we act out on what He said to do, that's exhilarating. How many know what I'm talking about? You pray and you get a word from God and you, you do it, and it's like, wow, He even speaks to a dummy like me. You know, I actually can hear His voice. I, I'm, I'm often go, whoa. I'll step out like kind of with a little bit of doubt. I think I heard from the Lord, da, da, da. And all of a sudden you see the hand of the Lord behind it. I'm like, oh, when am I going to, you know, get it? So prayer aligns our lives with God. Again, if you want to do the will of God, you will do the will of God. You don't have to wonder. And then lastly, so we, we, we break from the crowd. We shake things up through prayer. And then we need to illuminate the beauty of the gospel, salt and light, city on a hill, spiritual life, spiritual life can't be demonstrated in a laboratory. It's not scientific, but you can't deny it when you see it. When I see the peace of Christ on somebody in the middle of a storm, I can't deny it. The spiritual life, you can't deny what's going on. Years ago in Major League Baseball, they had a, a steroid crisis where they didn't have any rules on performance-enhancing enhancing drugs. And you got guys who were thin as a rail when they first came up, then they all of a sudden just got all swolled up, and they're hitting home runs at breaking Babe Ruth's records and all kinds of things that people thought would never be broken. And... At the time, they weren't cheating because it wasn't illegal. Now it's illegal and things kind of normal out a little bit. So in a reverse way, you couldn't prove that they were taking steroids. It was pretty darn obvious, though. You follow what I'm saying? So when it comes to our spiritual lives, you might not be able to quantify, but you sure cannot deny it when you see it. So how do we illuminate the beauty of the gospel? Two things. Number one, by loving one another well. I think we do that. I hear story after story of home groups, friendships, core groups, people caring for one another. They hear about a need, boom, I'm in. How do I help meet, meet that need of my fellow Novation family? Jesus said that the world will know you're my disciples by how eloquent you pray. Is that what he said? He said, the world will know you're my disciples by how high you jump in worship. No, they'll know you're my disciples by how much scripture you can quote. He didn't say that. He said, it's love. They'll know your mind by how you love and treat and care for one another. So that's the permission to people who come in outside of our community to come in and Jesus gives them permission to say, hey, you can know who's my disciple or not. Do they love and forgive one another? Do they forgive as husband and wife, uh, parent to kid, kid to parent, friendship to friendship? Are they a a loving, forgiving, serving, prayerful community? So we need to love one another. We want to be great at that and let it all fall from there. If If we strive to be great at loving one another, then everything works backwards from there. And then... Secondly, we illuminate the beauty of the gospel by serving our community well. And we've been able through the years with Woodrow Wilson, when we, for those of you who don't know, we used to meet at a school called Woodrow Wilson, uh, five years, 
great relationship that's continued on to continue to serve them as part of this community. I've had really good other, you know, outreach with uh, refugee families over the years that live in our local Denver community. The things that the projects that have been happening even this year, the last few months, reaching out. But there's still more to do, right? There's still more to do. There's much to celebrate. There's still much to do. I was thinking about that. Ten years. Do you know that the average church plant that starts from scratch the way we did, 70% of them close their doors within two years? We're still here. We're still here. God's still got a plan for our church family. And you're here not by happenstance or, or whatever. You're here because God wants you here. You're here because God wants you here. And it's, it's, it's nothing that you look over the past and say, well, it's this or happened or whatever. God wanted you here for this season, for such a time as this. So there's much to celebrate. That's what we're doing today. We're celebrating but I want to remind myself and us, let's all pool together. There's still much left to do. There's still people hurting and broken around us. So what were the three things we're called to do? Start with number one. He said, you got to shake, then bake. That's not, you weren't listening. <laughs> shake and bake. Um, we do got to... The first thing is break, right? Thank you. Second thing? Shake things up and then illuminate. So, we're going to have a demonstration here in a second, but we're going to sing uh, the blessing. If you would stand and we're going to sing that, and then we're going to demonstrate shake, break, shake, and illuminate.
caught with the hot mic on. Good thing I didn't go to the restroom. And some of you are way ahead of me on this, but I forgive you because that's what we're supposed to do. So those of you that haven't already done your illustration, um, and then the rest of you get to join in as well because you're ahead of me, but we break this thing, you shake, and then all of a sudden you get light. Let's do that together. Somebody snap a photo. You got a phone? Yeah. Keep keep doing that. That's cool looking. Yeah, do you have your phone? Good job, class. Oh, then it was on me. So I snapped one for you. takeaway. Break, shake, illuminate. We're the church. We're a city on a hill. We're the light of the world because he's the light of the world. Let's go in that peace today. So Father, may you bless us as we've been singing. Thank you for your favor and peace. But God, we want to not be apathetic in our individual walks with you or in our corporate life as a church together. So thank you for what you're doing by your spirit through the gospel. Give us vision, wisdom for the future. Thank you for the food we're going to eat here in just a sec and the celebration. In Jesus' mighty name, amen.